From Wyoming Public Media, this is Human Nature, real stories where humans and our habitat meet. I'm Erin Jones. This is the final installment of our series, The Event Horizon. If you haven't heard the first two parts, go back and listen to those first. This one ties it all together. A quick review. First, we learned that black holes create galaxies. That led me to wonder if creative and destructive forces are linked. It turns out, a lot of times, they are. Now, in part three, we're coming face-to-face with the most destructive force humans encounter, death. To help us face it, we'll hear about a woman who found her life's purpose on a bus. Elua Arthur was working as a lawyer. I was doing work that on the outside, and I had a life that on the outside looked pretty good. I would take these trips around the world. I have a serious travel bug and, you know, was dating interesting men and I lived in a great apartment and I had good friends and my work for all intents and purposes seemed like the type of legal work that people would want to do rather than the big firm stuff. You know, I didn't make a ton of money, but I uh, rode my bike to work every day and did work that felt amazing for the soul, yet something was really out of alignment for me. And so I developed a a depression that ballooned when I got a transfer at work and I went to a self-help center that was located in the basement of a concrete building. So I'd drive into the concrete building every day, walk through a concrete tunnel, walk through security, walk into the back corner where nothing would grow, there was no light, there was cinder blocks everywhere, and my soul was crushed. I was skin and bones because I would never remember to eat. I had zero appetite. My skin was ashen. I'm normally a pretty smiley, joyful person, and I could still smile, I could still laugh, but nothing was connecting on a deeper level. What it felt like was emptiness. What it felt like was lack of embodiment. I remember distinctly looking out the window one day and watching people going about their lives and wondering how they were capable of doing regular everyday errands like walking their children to school and going to the grocery store and being with other humans in an easy way. And that for me used to come very easily, yet as a result of this depression, I was no longer capable. And it was hard to explain. And people would often say, you know, I wish that you would just reach out or I wish that you would have told me or I wish something. Yet depression lies in such a way because it creates this, or at least for me, it created this feeling of being utterly alone that nobody could understand what I was experiencing. And so I wouldn't even bother. And also I felt like such a burden on everybody. At the end of the six month assignment, Elua went on a medical leave of absence for depression. She started a meditation practice. One day, during a meditation, an image related to Cuba popped into her mind. She started researching Cuba, and then saw signs of Cuba everywhere. Signs were exactly what she was looking for. So, she bought a plane ticket and arrived in Havana. The first few days were a little rough. Uh, being away and not quite knowing what I was doing there, but knowing that I was in a place and I was just going to explore. 
and I got on one of those double-decker buses. You know those big red buses when you travel that take you places, they're sightseeing buses, hop on and hop off? I got on one of those and um, was going through one of the old towns in, in Havana and there was a branch, a low-hanging branch from one of the trees in the residential neighborhood and I saw it approaching and I ducked so it didn't hit me in the face. And I sat back up after missing it and started giggling to myself. And for the first time, I remember feeling a spark of joy again. So feeling that joy again was the first moment that I was like, oh, okay, yep, I'm still in there. I am still in there. Like, I know for sure I can do this. And that was, I'd say, the beginning of things starting to shift for me. Over the next few days, Aloa embraced being in Cuba. She traveled to a few different towns. One night, she stayed out late dancing with a woman who did her hair up in a scrunchie. I woke up in the morning and wanted to return her scrunchie to her. And so I, I was late for my bus, though, because I was supposed to leave the town that morning. I'd overslept because I was still a little intoxicated, if I'm going to be frank. Um, so I ran through the streets to try and go return her scrunchie to her in time, and a car almost hit me along the way. And I, you know, I stopped and I slammed my hands on the hood, you know, to get the car's attention, but also just to bring myself back to life and think, gosh, don't die out here in these streets. Finally at the bus stop, Elua saw a woman with a tattoo of a quill pen and complimented her on it. Then, when she went to take her seat on the bus, the last seat was near the woman with the quill pen tattoo. And there was a woman in between us who refused to move, so we just talked over her for a while. It was one of those instant soul connections, an instant friendship struck up. Her name was Jessica. She was 36 years old and was traveling to see the top six places in the world she wanted to see before she died. She was German, uh, and Cuba was one of those places that she wanted to see. She was traveling to see these places because she had uterine cancer. And after about five surgeries and a couple years of being ill, she was going to continue with her treatment, but needed a break and needed just to feel alive again. So she'd gone on this trip. It was going to take her, I think, about four months to see these top six places. So we started talking and talking and talking, and pretty soon the woman that was sitting in between us decided to move, which I would have done too. Naturally, at some point, I started talking to her about dying. because it was something that was a subtext of what we were talking about. And turns out she hadn't really talked to very many people about her dying. And I found that very odd that somebody who had been sick for so long and who had had thoughts about her mortality herself hadn't discussed them with anybody yet. How did you bring up dying to her? Like, what did you say? I, I think I asked her straight out if she'd ever thought about the fact that her disease would kill her. Had yeah. she? She said she had. She said she thought about it plenty. And I said, well, what do you think about that? And um, she said, well, I don't want to die. You know, I'm afraid to die. And I was like, yeah, totally, I get it. But I started asking her what would be undone in her life if she died now, as opposed to at some unknown point in the future. And we started talking about her career and the fact that she was a writer, hence the tattoo of the quill pen that I'd noticed on her arm earlier. Yet she was working for the equivalent of a People magazine in Germany, 
yet wanted to really write like a great novel of some sort, but hadn't yet done that. So she felt like her work would be undone. Um, she felt like she wouldn't be able to have children, which biologically at least was true because she'd had a hysterectomy. And she felt like she hadn't done much living, which is why she was taking this trip. So during the course of that bus ride, we talked a lot about death. We talked a lot about what she thought was on the other side of life. We talked um, about her body decomposing. I had her looking at her body in the grave and considering what that would be like to be dead. I don't know where I had the hubris to spark up a conversation like this with a total stranger, but for some reason I did. We talked a lot about her and her disease, but we also talked about mine. And we talked about how, how depressed I'd become and how I'd lost connection to feeling and how I feared that my disease was terminal. Uh, because I think for some people, depression is a terminal condition. And so we talked a lot about my death also. And talking to her about hers, I started to think about my life and what would be undone for me and what I feared and my mortality. And it struck me that in my, at that point, 34 years of life, I'd never really considered my own mortality. I was looking around the bus thinking, well, shoot, all these people are going to die. I'm going to die. She's going to die. Everybody outside is going to die. Why is this the very first time I'm really talking about death, like a real conversation about death? You know, I talk about the fact that Michael Jackson died or grandparents die, but without ever really digging into what that would mean for myself. Uh, we know about grief. We know about burial and cremation. We know about funeral homes. We know that people struggle, yet I think not very often are we thinking about how we would approach disease um, or life support or what's gonna happen to my journals after I die. And so stuff like that started to become very important to me during that conversation. And I had it with her on the bus ride. You know, aside from the deep conversation about death, we also talked about men and music and families. And it was one of those types of conversations that you can easily have with a stranger in a foreign country where there's, you know, we don't know each other at all. We might never talk again after this moment so we can be as vulnerable and open and honest or not as we choose to be. But in that moment, gratefully, we both completely opened ourselves up to each other and were able to get some real juice out of it. Because during that bus ride, she decided uh, that she was going to turn her travels into a blog. And during that bus ride, I also decided that I was gonna spend my life preparing people to die. What did it wasn't it... like an aha moment. Were you gonna ask me what it felt like? Yeah, what did it feel like? <laughs> <laughs> It didn't feel like much. It felt like a deep knowing. It felt like a, okay. Like as easy as I decided I'm gonna have a veggie burger for lunch. And even that comes with a lot more strife sometimes than knowing that I was gonna be doing death work. It was a, okay. It was not a ding. There was no champagne bubbles in the blood. There was no excitement, there were no tears, there was no like, ah. 
It was just like, uh, got it. After 14 hours on the bus, Jessica and Elua got off and checked into a guest house together. And as we were getting ready to go to bed, finally, she uh, asked me if I'd remembered almost getting hit by a car in Trinidad, the town that we'd left earlier. And I said yes, Avi, but I was curious about why she knew that. And she said that she was in that car that had almost hit me in Trinidad before I left. And when I was running through the street carrying a scrunchie in my camera and I hit the hood, she said I, I looked directly at her and I don't remember this at all, but she was instantly curious about who I was and why I was running and why I was carrying a scrunchie. And um, so when I showed up at the bus stop later and I met her, she was committed to getting me on that bus. Elua and Jessica stayed together for the next five days. Then they flew back to Havana to catch their respective flights. Back home, two days later, Elua got an email from Jessica. She'd started writing her blog. That was in 2012. That blog got turned into a book. Um, a, I think it's a kind of somewhat popular book. And she's written two more books since then. One about the deaths of both her grandparents who raised her. And so her relationship with death has significantly increased. Now she's talking about it in a very public way. Um, and she's writing and living her best life. And she's healthy, I want to say. She's in remission. And she's healthy. And she's healthy. After the trip to Cuba, Elua knew she wanted to do death work, but she wasn't sure what her path was. She started to read everything she could about death. She applied for psychology programs and got in, but then decided it wasn't quite right. She was considering being a hospice nurse when her brother-in-law was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And I went to New York to be with him and my sister and my niece and my mom and just to be there in support. Um, and through the end of his life, I saw firsthand how it is for families dealing with illness and death. Up until that point, working and dying had been a concept, and Peter's illness made it very real. Um, I saw how we do it, and I saw all the ways in which I thought that we could do something else. Um, and so after he died, I remember at so many points wanting to call somebody to ask the questions, not just the medical questions. The doc doctors were there to explain a lot of the things, at least when they'd come into his hospital room. But in between, there were also questions like, is his breathing normal? Or the color on his feet has changed. Is that normal? Or, you know, what, what, what's going on here? Like, what's happening? What do we do with his car? Um, there were a lot more information that we should have asked, and I wish that we just had somebody to ask these questions to. So after he died in particular, I was trying to create like a quick little something for my sister to get done all the things that need to get done. was looking for a resource, couldn't find one, realized there's no such thing as a quick little something to get all the stuff done. Wanted to ask somebody questions, and I realized that in that moment I would have paid any amount of money for somebody to help us. Um... And so I decided that I was going to be that person that people could call. Elua became a death doula, which is like a birth doula, a woman who supports others through every part of childbirth, but on the other end. 
Did that job exist before? I didn't find it before. I didn't know anybody who did it before. People, there have been death through loves. I mean, people have been helping people die since for always. But I think that since we die differently now and that we live these lives that have a lot of stuff in them and we have online stuff and we have options for everything, that the role of the person who accompanies the dying has started to shift. And I am doing it in that way that I think the shift should be occurring in, which is holistic. Let me answer your questions. Let me support and empower you as much as possible to experience this thing that's happening anyway as peacefully as possible. Aloha says the practical naturally leads to the metaphysical. Because when talking about if you want to be buried or cremated, will somebody say, well, shoot, I've always feared being burned alive. I've always feared fire. I don't want to be cremated. Well, somebody who says that suggests that there might be an association with the body that exists beyond death. My philosophy is do you, boo. Whatever works for you works for me. Um, because I don't have any of the answers. You know, I have answers about practical things, but when it comes to the emotional, spiritual stuff, I don't have the answers. I'm just here to support as people get clear on what they need. Do you feel at peace with death and with your own death someday? Uh, I feel at peace that when my death comes, I would have done everything that I was on earth to do. One of my, one of my concerns about my dying is that I'm not going to have enough time to do the work that I want to do. You know, I think about where I still feel discomfort at the idea of death. And one of them is, uh, shoot, I have a lot of work that I want to do. And I don't know if I'm going to get to do it all. Like, I just don't want to die before I get to do everything. Um, while also knowing that when my time comes, I, I mean, I won't have anything else to do because I'll be dead. Standing and constantly looking at the threshold of this phenomenal mystery that is death allows me to feel awe at life. I death makes no sense. Death makes no sense. I know, that makes me cringe. I interrupted Elua at a crucial moment. It's the moment when she sums up everything, all of the series. The event horizon, the boundary of a black hole, is a limited number of kilometers wide, and matter swirls around it like water going down a drain. The matter is hot and bright as it rages against its dying. It blows winds through the universe, and in the ensuing collisions, stars are born. The very act of destruction is simultaneously an act of creation. Death is the ultimate mystery, but perhaps more mysterious is the creative tension between life and death, like the top of water against air. Life, ever aware and wary of death. Death, entirely final, but integral to creating and defining life. <laughs> it makes zero sense. And it, it does really let me go, wow, this life thing is a wild ride.
Our storyteller was Alua Arthur. You can find out more about her work at goingwithgrace.com. This is the end of our three-part series, The Event Horizon. I'm eager to hear what you think about this experiment. And if you're an artist or a mother or anybody who has ever created anything, tell me what you think the relationship is between creation and destruction. Share your thoughts on social media or at humannaturepodcast.org. Also on our website, you can find a list of books, movies, and goddesses that balance on the edge of creation and destruction. And you can donate to the show, thanks to everyone who supported us this summer. I'm Erin Jones. The show is produced by me, Caroline Ballard, Ashton Hooker, Anna Rader, and Micah Schweitzer. Our theme song is by Caught a Ghost. Human Nature is a production of Wyoming Public Media. It's human nature.